Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hey there, Shelly. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, except for it's it was like chilly out. I know. And I did not like that. (laughs) I know. Starting to need to like bundle up. I actually made a fire in the wood stove last night. Oh, actually, that sounds really cozy. It is, but I don't love the work of the wood. (laughs) Yeah. I can see that. Yep. Gotta stack three cords right now. This week, we are interviewing Nathalie Walton from Expectful, and she's going to talk to us about the maternity system in the U.S. in general Ah. and how it needs to be improved. Um, Everything. D, all of the above. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, which part? All of it? Yes. All of it. Yes. It's Mm -hmm. such a broken system. Such a broken system. It is. It is. I think the system is not it doesn't work well for everybody. It doesn't work well for many. Right. But first let's do our favorite of the week. Great. Do you want to go first? Sure. So Grace is really getting me to try different flavors and different things with my iced coffees, which I've been drinking, but that's turning into hot coffee more frequently now that it's getting cold. Mm-hmm. But she turned me on to having oat milk and brown sugar in my coffee Ooh. and I, in my iced coffee. And I will say that I've not tried it in hot coffee, but I don't think I'm going to go back to doing it cream and sugar. Like I've always done. Mm-hmm. It's delicious. It's creamier. It's, it's a little bit more dessert tasting, but oat milk is good for you. So I'm going with it. I love it. Do you drink oat milk like in other no. Yeah, because I, you know, I don't drink cow's milk. So right. I always go for plant-based milks. I tried the oat milk. Maybe I need to try another brand because it was just like gross to me. I would never drink it straight up. I don't drink milk. I don't, I just don't. But um, I couldn't drink a, a glass of it, but in coffee or at least iced coffee, that's all the only way I've had it. Delicious. I got to yeah, try that. Try, and try it. Try a different I brand. Recently you got like a Starbucks drink recommendation off Instagram ah. um, because I'm low carb. So that I'm kind of limited on what yeah. I order. And oh. they suggested a cold brew let on the ice with heavy cream and three pumps of sugar-free vanilla. <laughs> it is so good. It is oh. so good. It is so good. Heavy cream and coffee. You don't even need a sweetener. <laughs> it's so good. Yes, like- I do, Nicole. I do. <laughs> <laughs> you take it's that delicious. back. It's delicious. Yep. All right. What's your favorite of the week? Um, my favorite of the week is another book. Because why not? <laughs> no way. Yeah, not me. <laughs> it's actually like a book series. It is my favorite series of all time ever. Huh? Like I, I first read it when I was in um, like seventh grade, I think. So it's an nice. older series. Yeah. And I loved it as a kid, I love it now as an adult, but for different reasons, uh-huh. like there are some things that I really liked about it when I was a kid that I now as an adult, I'm like, that actually isn't cool. Um, uh-huh. 
but it is, it's called the sort of truth. I think there's like, what is it called? Like the sort of truth. Uh-huh. So it's like sci-fi fantasy. Uh-huh. So there's wizards and witches and dragons and magic and all that stuff. Yep. And there's like, you know, the typical villain, power villain with the unexpected hero kind of thing. Yep. So it is a really, really, really long series. Um, but I just, I don't know, something about it I love. And I usually will read it, the whole series, you know, once every other year. Um, usually not every year because it's such a long series. Mm-hmm. No, I'm rereading it again. And I think I'm, I'm on book either five or six. Fun. Yeah. It's really Good cool. For they, you. they actually made a TV show out of it, but it didn't last long. Oh, okay. It's one of those things that like the books are so in depth. You can't, yeah. it's like trying to turn the Lord of the Rings into a TV show. Do you know right. what I mean? It's like, not going to happen. There's yeah, way too much to it. Right. Yeah. I don't know what they were thinking with that, but. Huh. But that is my favorite of the week. So if you're into like um, sci-fi fantasy and that kind of thing, I would definitely check out the sort of truth. And I'll put that link in the bio, in the show notes, in the bio, in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's move on to our question of the week. All right. What we got. So this week's question was submitted through Instagram. Okay. And what is a good breastfeeding schedule for a four week old baby? I would say none. <laughs> Just feed on demand. Right. Yeah. As much as possible. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think four four weeks old, usually by four weeks, they've kind of figured out their own schedule and settled into like at least a predictable feeding routine. Mm-hmm. every two to three hours or whatever, but four weeks old is still a little young for scheduling. Um, routines are good, but scheduling is still, you know, it's a little early for that. We do want the babies to feed on demand so that they can make sure they're getting enough. And some days they might feed more than others, but I wouldn't try to put them in a schedule at this point. Do you agree, yeah. Nicole? I totally agree with that. I think exactly the same way. That's kind of when they're getting into their rhythm anyway. You want to just kind of keep up what you've established at four weeks and they do, they seem to work, you know, as long as they're gaining, they seem to work it the way they need to with mm-hmm. their growth spurts, things change. But as long as you're feeding them on demand, they're gaining, you just let them do their thing. Right. And do not compare your baby to other people's babies because no. moms have like larger storage capacities of milk in their storage capacities. I can't talk today. Storage <laughs> capacity um, of breast milk in their breasts and than others. And some babies are more efficient than others. So if your cousin's baby that is the same age as your baby, you know, is feeding every four hours, um, that doesn't mean that that's going to be a right schedule for your baby. Right. So every baby's different. Just go by your baby's cues. Absolutely. That was a good question. And if you have a question that you'd like to submit to us that we can answer on the podcast for you, you can submit them to me on Instagram. I'm at Shelly Taft, IBCLC. And up next, we have Natalie Walton from Expectful. Sounds good. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting in new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information. And also there's the lack of support. 
So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solids webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage, and pelvic floor health. I'm so excited this week to introduce our guest, Natalie Walton from Expectful. She is the CEO and co-founder of Expectful, and she is here to talk to us all about um, becoming pregnant in the U.S. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So my most important job is that I am a mother to my 21-month-old son um, named Everett. And my secondary job is that I am the co-founder and CEO of Expectful. Um, For those of you that have heard of Expectful or or haven't heard of us, we started as a meditation and sleep app for fertility, pregnancy, and parenthood. And in the last year, we've grown so far beyond that to become a holistic wellness haven for fertility, pregnancy, and parenthood. And so what are some of the ways that like meditation would benefit someone who is pregnant or a new parent? That is such a great question. So we, um, the way Expectful was started was our founder, um, at the, uh, uh, Mark Krasner, had um, an idea. Um, So he was very involved in meditation and he saw so many um, of his friends struggle with stress and pregnancy. And he saw the impact of meditation on his life. And he thought, you know, I think that there's something here for pregnancy. Uh, And so he started doing a couple of research studies on which since grew, and we have a lot of exciting research coming out. But I guess to simplify this, there's a ton of scientific research that shows that meditation and mindfulness practices reduce stress um, and anxiety in um, pregnancy and in the postpartum period. Um, And the research is really compelling. There's even research that shows that um, using meditation can reduce pain um, during birth. So that's, that's actually one of the reasons why I started using Expectful was, was for that pain reduction. And the most incredible thing that I think is, is there are preliminary studies about using meditation when breastfeeding. And, um, those studies show that using meditation and breastfeeding leads to higher milk outputs, which is like, to me, that's mind blowing. I was one of those 92% of women that struggle with breastfeeding in the first week of life. And to think that something as simple as meditating for five minutes could help that is crazy to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that definitely makes sense because if you are a new mom and you are struggling and it's stressing you out as it always does, you know, stress can lower milk supply, at least temporarily. But if you have some tools in, in hand that you can just use to relax, that would help too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's incredible. Especially, and it's especially important now during the pandemic where I'm seeing so many moms that are, I mean, I've moms, new parents have always been stressed (laughs) at least in the U S because they're not getting the support that they need. But I feel like, especially since the pandemic started, um, now that things are opening up, it's not as bad, but in the beginning where everyone was so isolated and some parents were even being told like not to bring their baby to the pediatrician for the regular time intervals, because you didn't want to bring your baby and potentially expose them to COVID in like the waiting room or something. 
Um, so the stress levels in these moms and these parents have like skyrocketed and that can definitely impact to the baby as well. Yes. I mean, that is, that's true. It's not just, you shouldn't cultivate a meditation or mindfulness practice just for yourself. Although that is, you know, for me, it's enough of a return, but it's also for your baby. Um, I mean, there's a lot of science that shows that having, being less stressed will have a better outcome for your baby, um, which is Mm -hmm. a really important link. Um, And you're right. I mean, 2021, it's not a whole lot different than 2020. Um, And it's, uh, it is stressful. If you're trying to conceive, if you're pregnant, if you're a new parent now, the the stress is, um, it's much worse than it was pre-pandemic. And so finding Mm -hmm. whatever tools that could be, I mean, it doesn't have to be meditation. It could be journaling. um, It could be connecting with a friend, um, but finding whatever that mindfulness practice is will have a tremendous impact. out outcome on your um, pregnancy experience. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how stress during pregnancy may impact the baby? Yeah, I mean, I think that there there are a lot of things that it can. I mean, particular we see this even just taking a step back is is in trying to conceive. Um, so I've done um, a couple of interviews and in, in some work with doctors that um, have measured um, stress on fertility. And there was a great study that came out of um, New Zealand earlier this year on that impact. And we see that like stress does the study looked at um i believe it was mice um like stress of of mice trying to conceive and and um when you are stressed it does impact your chances of conceiving so it's it's not even when you're pregnant it's before like can actually prevent conception and and i think you know that's something that people talk about and 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 that's i think that creates stress in and of itself it's like don't tell me to not stress out <laughs> that's not going to mm-hmm. help but but so that's one thing when you're just trying to conceive but in pregnancy um i mean i think that there are, I, i'm not a doctor so like i i really i don't feel comfortable saying like what could happen t- to the baby but but i do know the inverse and that um better outcomes do come when you're less stressed and so that's mm-hmm. like all that i can speak to um, and, and that, that's like a very important thing is, is, is figuring out how to regulate that. Right. Cause we have way more stress than our bodies are kind of made to have like our bodies. Stress was originally designed to protect us by kicking us into fight or flight. And as a survival mechanism, but with our lifestyles, many times we're just like constantly running on stress. And I know when I'm stressed for like super stressed for a long time, I get a lot of like, um, inflammation in my body. I got a lot of swelling and bloating and even and I get headaches. So it does have like, your body does have a physical response, especially when you're having like chronic stress. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you asked like, what are one of the things that does lead to stress? I mean, I think that looking at the evidence, it is clear. I think I was reading a study where um, being stressed does harm your milk supply and, and like figuring out ways where you could de-stress to increase milk supply. So like mm-hmm. that is that there is a study on that um, for sure. Right. Because milk supply is driven a lot by oxytocin, which is, you know, the love hormone. It's the hormone that you feel when you're gazing the eyes of someone you love, but cortisol, which is a stress hormone can stop oxytocin levels from rising in your body, which can slow down your milk supply or at least reduce your milk flow. If not slow down, like maybe your supply is not lowered, but maybe it takes a lot longer for your, you to have like a letdown and release milk for the pump or the baby. So it definitely, and, and what you mentioned before, where a lot of these parents are going to their providers and their providers are just kind of like, well, you know, try not to be stressed. 
you know, do some self-care, maybe go to Target by yourself. <laughs> like that is not self-care. <laughs> we're kind of oh bad at self-care. <laughs> a lot of people might argue with you that going to Target is not self-care, but <laughs> I, I hear you. I mean, I think that, yeah, we, we are bad about it. And there's also like, I, I'm in, I've been in this space for well over a year now. And I see that there's a lot of shame um, and like stigma around putting yourself first. Like, um, I mean, some people like really poo-poo meditation um, or just taking any time away to care for yourself and not caring for the baby. And I think that sometimes moms and in pregnancy, people feel like they need to ask for permission to take care of themselves. When in fact, taking care of yourself is like the most important thing that you can do. It's putting your oxygen mask on first Mm -hmm. so that you can take care of yourself and others. Um, And Mm -hmm. so you're right. We are bad as a, as a society. And I think particularly we're bad in, in America. Um, I don't know if it's cultural or there's some kind of mom guilt or shame, um, but it's absolutely a hundred percent necessary to, to figure out what that you practice is. Mm -hmm. Right. 100%. I absolutely agree. And I use that analogy all the time with the oxygen mass with my families, because, you know, they're, I'm seeing that most of my clients are probably around like the one to four week age range with their babies. And they're not eating. They not, you know, because maybe they're, they're so stressed, they don't have an appetite or they just forget because they're so busy taking care of the baby. And it's kind of like, I have to gently remind them if you're not taking care of yourself, how is your body going to be expected to take care of this baby in terms of, um, making enough milk for the baby and offsetting the side effects of sleep deprivation. Cause there are real side effects to that. And it's so important. Could not agree more on, on <laughs> everything you said, and particularly the sleep deprivation. Actually, that's one of the reasons why I got, um, into meditation, um, was that, um, meditation does significantly help your sleep. And, um, I, at Expectful, one of our most popular um, things that we have on our app is our sleep library. And, um, that was something that I used on a daily basis in postpartum is like finding when, when the baby does nap and I'm in a position to also nap, which doesn't happen for every single nap, but sometimes it does line up. Um, it's just finding, you know, those 15 minutes to, to take, to meditate. And I find myself like feeling so refreshed refreshed, which is hard to say as a new mom, like, yes, it's possible to, to, to meditate and feel refreshed. But, um, we often have these just thoughts that run through our mind. Um, this new mom's like, I was constantly worried about my baby. I, we, I had a NICU baby and it's like, is he still breathing? Um, and I think that that's like a very common thing to think about. Is he getting enough, um, milk? Um, you know, we, we always are worrying and, um, that can impact our sleep. And so finding, um, a mindfulness practice to help you with sleep is also very important. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of parents think that they don't have time to fit mindfulness into their day, which I totally get. Um, I That was always my mindset too. But I find even I just do like a quick five-minute meditation in the morning. And I do like a quick five-minute journaling um, where I would just write like a sentence. I wouldn't even really call it journaling. But it's enough for me. Like it's enough where I'm like, okay, I feel better. I really like breath work too. Yeah. And that that's really easy. If I'm feeling myself like tensing up and I'm feeling myself getting anxious, I love to do just like a minute of breath work. Cause I can do that while I'm still like charting and I am good at multitasking, but just like charting, but then being aware of my breath and counting my breaths and stuff like that. Yes. Breath work is fantastic. We have some breath work meditation on, um, 
our app. And, and I, I mean, I've, I've gone deep personally on the breath work um, front, like getting into almost like the holotropic breath work, which is a whole nother thing, <laughs> but, but mm-hmm. actually it's great for releasing trauma. So for people that have um, birthing trauma, like there are ways to, you know, think about using breath work to release that, but it's also as simple as like doing box breathing. Um, because even if you have a child in your hand and you are breastfeeding, like that is something that you can do right then. You can also meditate. Like, let's say you, you have a newborn and you are breastfeeding or you're pumping, um, or, you know, bottle feeding there. You, that's something like where the, where you can meditate. We have a whole lot of, um, breastfeeding, pumping, bottle feeding meditations. And like, it's not like you, you, it's, it's not like you have to walk when you're doing that. Like you can yeah. sit down and you can be mindful while breastfeeding or doing mm-hmm. whatever you are in the feeding journey. Mm-hmm. I also find breath work is really helpful because it helps me to like, when I'm doing my breath work, I start thinking about like, okay, what's making me anxious? Well, I have this thought that I'm not going to hit this deadline. And I kind of just say, okay, I have this thought, I have this fear, I'm not going to hit this deadline, but I know that I will because I've scheduled off time to like work on this project or whatever. And so this is just a thought I'm having and it doesn't really have any basis in reality. And that's really helpful too. Yes. It's it's like diving deep to discover what is actually causing this. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the lack of access when parents are trying to conceive? Well, I think there's a lack of access in any part. Like the mothering journey from conception to postpartum, but yeah, I mean, there's a lack of access on like I think almost every level. So this is a podcast. Like I, I'm a black um, woman, and what was really apparent to me during my pregnancy postpartum journey was just the lack of access for most women of color, um, and for I think like a lot of different economic um, level accesses of um, for different economic levels and education levels. And I'm um, like, I, I was fortunate in that, like, I um, come from a place where like, I, I did have access um, to pretty much everything I needed for this journey. Like I had excellent insurance. I, I worked in a big tech company. Um, and still with all of that access, I had um, a near um, my, my son had a, a near death experience um, in birth, like in the biggest, like in San Francisco in, in 2019. And so like, that's something that I would think, you know, is really not common. But when I, after my birth, I started to look into it and I saw that really like the black mortality rate is four times that of, um, of white women. And so when I really look at what's going on in access, like it does impact women of color, obviously much more um, severely than other other groups, but it's just access overall. Um, I mean, I think as a country, um, women in America are struggling to get the access that they need. If you think about it, it's like your OB appointment, it's, it's like you, you go in for 15 minutes if you even get to meet with your OB, you know, if you're not meeting with like a nurse. Um, and because I had a high-risk pregnancy, I had so many, I probably had more questions than most of like, hey, how how do I take care of myself? Like, how do I eat healthy? Um, how do I, um, how do I prepare for labor when I, when I know that I'm in a high-risk situation? And, you know, I, I had a doula who was very helpful, but there were, I needed a lot more support, like needed mental health support. I needed nutrition support, needed acupuncture. Like I needed the whole I needed everything and I couldn't find it. 
Um, and, and really, I think that's because if you think about it, the way that um, OB, like, I think a way OBs are set up in the US is that the focus is really not on the well-being of the mother. It's really on like, you know, the well-being of the baby, which I appreciate. But, you know, the mother it's, is being born at the same time that, that a baby is being born if this is their first um, child. And, uh, and so it, it's, it's fair to think that women need those resources. And so one of the things that I'm doing at, at our company, Expectful, is, is creating those resources and bringing those to people like in an accessible way through a subscription. Um, so it's like you can get the, the mental health support through meditations and through support groups. You can get access to some of the providers that are pretty hard to find, like those nutrition providers or bereavement coaches, um, if that's you know something that you unfortunately experience. Um, lactation consultants, stuff that like, you know, is necessary to your journey, but is sometimes thought of as an afterthought and like not really spoken about um, in a traditional pregnancy journey in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our medical system definitely is not set up to really, even when it, even outside of the OBGYN world, like like you said, they have like 15 minutes. And part of that is at least in Massachusetts, the cases that um, Massachusetts are malpractice insurance costs for OBGYNs are so high um, that they have to see a certain number of clients just to make a profit. Right. And it's a business they deserve to make a profit, but that means that they have to like almost overbook themselves and they're running in and they're running out as fast as they can because they need to meet that like quota of, of patients that they need to see a day. And I remember that same thing when I was pregnant, like I had, I had prenatal depression, although I didn't realize that at the time. And I was like, just like eating, <laughs> eating it. So I think I gained like 90 pounds. And I remember my OB saying, well, you know, you're, you're gaining weight pretty fast and, you know, try to stop eating McDonald's, which I wasn't. And, and that was it. That was the only thing she said about it. And I, and it was like, there was no guidance. There was no, like, what are you eating? There was no, like, not even like, let's refer you to a nutritionist. It was just like, stop eating junk food and send me on my way. That's terrible. I'm sorry that you went through that. Um, and, but I think that that is more common than not. I mean, it's just, when I speak with so many doctors, I hear from them that like, nutrition is covered in, in an hour, if it's covered at all in medical school. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just like, there's a lot, there's a disconnect around like Eastern medicine and Western medicine and like actually taking care of the holistic self. I totally hear you on the insurance piece. Like that was probably the cause of so much of my pain was like people just trying to um, cover themselves from like, you know, I guess getting, getting sued. Um, and, but, but that doesn't provide like the best holistic experience for the, the person that's going through the journey. And so you need the outside support system to give you the answers that you're not going to get because of this fear of getting sued. So it's, it's really, it's unfortunate that it's a mess. I think there are people today are waking up to the situation of what it is and trying to build their own solutions to it. That's certainly what I'm trying to do. And I think that there's a lot of people out there, you serve an amazing resource. Um, and I think, you know, it's, this will be something where uh, the people that have gone through this and have suffered through this are going to create the solutions that we need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's like, there's alternatives that you could seek out that might um, provide a better care model for you, but they're not available everywhere. Like the midwifery care model, um, in my opinion, is a lot more holistic than, than the OBGYN model. But, you know, when I had my midwife, she would spend an hour with me every prenatal appointment that I had and answer all my questions. And she had me write like a, a food log so she could actually see what I was eating. And we went over it. 
Um, and that, and that was wonderful. And it was how I gave birth to the rest of my babies, but you know, sometimes, sometimes there are no midwives available. A lot of places there are no midwives available or in even, even in some places there's total, like a total desert of care where parents are having to drive like two hours just to get to the nearest hospital or the nearest OBGYN. And that's really stressful for them too. Yeah. I mean, there's, when I said there's access happens, lack of access happens on so many levels. I think also part of it is like creating more digital solutions. Um, like you said, I mean, a lot of people don't have access to the providers. They have to drive um, a really far distance, which is hard if you're working and you're pregnant, like taking that time off to do. That was something like I caused talk about stress. I, I um, was high risk. And so like at one point I was going to the doctor five days a week. Um, and it's like, ah, you know, you have to take off work and, <laughs> and find parking and, and like that just creates stress. And, it, and so I can only imagine having to like drive a far off distance. And so figuring out like, how can you get some of the support online so that you can have it wherever you are? Um, I think that will help democratize um, access to care. Mm-hmm. Right. 100%. And like you said, especially if you're like, you know, a woman of color, because it does these statistics do impact them more, even like, like look at Serena Williams and what she went through and she, she knew what was wrong with her. And she was quite plainly, like clearly saying like, this is what I need. And it wasn't until another doctor of color came in that they actually got her what she needed. She almost died because they just wouldn't listen to her. And it's terrible. It is. I mean, I knew that I was in trouble when I, like, when I looked at people like um, Serena Williams, Beyonce, Allison Felix. Um, it's just like, you know, if, if black women that have, you know, access to it all and they have, you know, that stage and, and everything like I, it's just, you think about people that don't have that access, that don't have those means. And it's a, it's a really scary um, situation. So it's one that I hope will be fixed in my lifetime and hopefully a lot sooner. <laughs> yeah. Natalie, if you had your like ideal um, provider team for every expecting parent, who would be on that team? Oh my God, I could go on and on. So why don't I, <laughs> why don't I give you top three? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that there is, is, um, there's, there's so much, I think that, um, the first thing that the, that I would have on is, um, a mental health specialist and one that like specializes in pregnancy and postpartum. And the reason I would recommend that is because, um, particularly if you have a high-risk pregnancy, the stress, I mean, I think a lot of people don't know what they're going through, whether it's normal. And so you just, you, you go through on a day-to-day basis and you think like, I'm okay. When in fact, like you're probably not okay. And in the U.S., in our culture, I mean, even abroad, people don't really talk about what's going on with them. Um, there's just like, they, they think like, okay, this is just hard. I have to deal with it. And um, like the mental health toll is real. Uh, We talked about COVID earlier in the conversation. Um, The rates of pregnant and new moms that have anxiety right now, uh, last year it was 72%, which was like a huge increase from prior to the pandemic. So having that mental health specialist is um, so critical. Um, And I think that that is something that a lot of people don't have. Um, I I think, you know, some people might say that this is a luxury, but I would say that it, it, for me, that it was so helpful is is having someone specializes in body work, like either like massage or acupuncture. 
um, I had to use acupuncture. Like I had um, a high risk pregnancy and I was um, thought I was told that I could have preterm labor. Um, and um, one of my doctors who is really, I think a little bit more forward thinking was like, you should see this acupuncturist. And I mean, I don't know I, I can't tell you scientifically if it helped or not, but I can tell you that I made it to term, which was something like I didn't think was possible. And also just like the pain. I had so much pain that I was experiencing and I kind of had it all. And I do know that like the acupuncturist and the body work did relieve some of my symptoms. And honestly, who doesn't really like body work? I know it's not accessible for, for everyone, but if, if there's some way that you can get that, um, that would be helpful. And then the third is just like a lactation consultant, if that's the route that you plan to go down. Um, mm-hmm. And 92% of, of women struggle with breastfeeding in the first week of life. And I triple fed for 15 weeks, wow. um, which is like uh, crazy. I mean, that's like a, show on my <laughs> it's a long health. time. Yeah. It's, 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 I wish, and I wish I had more contact with you know, I, I had to see many different um, lactation consultants just to get their, their answers that I needed. But that's something that, you know, I think is kind of an afterthought. Like, thank goodness I had a doula who was like, you'd need a lactation consultant. But in the OB's office, like, it was never even mentioned. It's just mm-hmm. like, you you know, it's, it's just like, you'll be fine. And like, that is, that is a skill. It is one mm-hmm. a skill where you need help. So I'd say that those are the three um, extra doctors that I, or specialists that I would have on my care team. And that would have helped me a lot um, had I had those nailed down in advance. Yeah, I definitely agree with all three of those. Um, and even after the baby's born, like having body work, sometimes the baby <laughs> needs a little body work too. Like we do not give birth the way that we used to. We don't move like we used to in pregnancy. So babies are coming out kind of like tight and asymmetrical with these wonky palates and they're not moving their tongue correctly. And sometimes just a little body work can help with that. But um, parents, again, like you said, they don't know about it or they don't have access to it or they're often discouraged from doing it. The baby's provider because there's not enough knowledge out there. Yeah, I, my son was stiff and it was just like our, the Nikki, they taught us some massage techniques and it's like, it's fun. I mean, it's fun massaging your newborn baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it, you know, it's like, you don't know what to massage or like how to do it. And so. I think that um, it, it benefits us all. And, and just being open to, I mean, you want to be evidence-based, of course. Like I, I, no one wants people to do like, you know, woo-woo on, on yourself. Right. But, but there is a lot of evidence around this stuff. And so I think just like searching for the evidence uh, and having an open mind um, because this isn't stuff that's always brought up in the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Right. And like you said, like these parents should be screened by their OB for risk factors for low milk supply. Like your OB is supposed to do a breast exam and it never happens. Um, I never got a breast exam. Most of the parents where I asked, like, did your OB do a breast exam? The answer is no. Um, Because if there are risk factors that they can catch during pregnancy and refer to an IBCLC, there's a lot more that I can do for them to maximize their chances of full milk production than I can after the baby arrives. So that can be really frustrating when I, when a mom comes to me like two weeks postpartum because her baby's not getting weight and she has clear risk factors for low milk supply. And yeah, there are things that we can do, but if I had gotten to her beforehand, that might've been more that we can do. Yeah. It's, it's all an afterthought, unfortunately. I mean, with, with the doctor. So I think having those conversations, talking to an IBCLC in the third trimester, I don't know if you recommend earlier, but like at least, you know, getting that, having mm-hmm. those conversations beforehand 
just like probably the best use of money that you'll spend. And, and something I talk about frequently um, is just like the concept of registering. So baby registries today, I think are just way too materialistic and like, yes, it's fun picking out those cute little onesies and the booties and everything, but we put too much of an emphasis on the stuff we need for our baby and not the stuff that we might need for ourselves as moms in the after process. So like I encourage people to register for lactation consultants, like through, you know, a fund or register for that mental health support, um, anything that you can do to, you know, help defer some of that cost um, is so critical. And it's, it's a very normal thing to register for. And, and like, that's something that people don't think about, but like, this will help you so much more than having a the fifth swaddle that you get um, mm-hmm. would be like, you know, having a, an IDCLC that you, you know, you don't have to stress about paying for. Right. I literally just posted about that on my Instagram yesterday because, you know, you see all these parents and they come to me and they bought all the breastfeeding pillows and all the, the breastfeeding tools. And, and it really like, you, you should have saved your money and just paid for a prenatal consult. You know, mm-hmm. don't, don't spend money on that fancy crib bedding for the crib that you can't even use because it's not safe to have it in there. Like it looks nice for the neighbors when you show off your nursery, but you know, eventually when your baby goes in the crib, you have to take all that out. You can't have a bumper. You can't have a quilt. You can't have any of that. So instead of wasting money on that, like set your up your support system, even if you just pay for, you know, or, or ask for donations for like a, a meal delivery service or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, you don't need as much as you think. <laughs> you, do, you do not. You really yeah. do not. It is problematic. And I remember with my first, I went to Babies R Us when they were still in business. And we're like, yeah. I was very young when I had my first. I had no clue what I was doing. And I was like, we're here to make a baby registry. And they literally printed out like a 15 page list of things that I need. And then they give you the scanner and they're like, okay, walk around the store and pick which items out of each. Ca-. You know, and it's like, you don't need to buy 15 pacifiers. You don't need to buy, you know, all those things, but because the baby business is such a big business, that's what they tell you. And then by the time I had my third, I was like 39 weeks pregnant. And I was like, I guess we should bring down some baby stuff. (laughs) Like we need some diapers, we need a pack and play and we need some clothes. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that isn't at that age. Um, (laughs) or I mean, I mean, at that stage, it's like you, you totally know what you need and and Mm -hmm. what you don't need and you don't need most of it. Right. Like half the stuff you end up not using anyway. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Yes. So um, I encourage everyone to download our app. It's called Expectful. Um, you can find us in the app store. You can find us at expectful.com. On Instagram, we're at Expectful. And um, we actually have created a special offer for your users. Um, and it is, you can go to expectful.com slash baby dash pro. And the con- uh, code is baby pro. Um, all cap. Um, and that'll also be in the show notes, but that special offer is you can try expectful for just $1 a month. It's like a 95 plus percent discount on our monthly subscription. And you can get access to all of the meditations that your heart desires and also access to things like support groups, office hours with, um, specialists, um, pretty much uh, everything you need to have a a happier pregnancy. (laughs) That sounds great. And I love the Expectful website. It's so beautiful and well done. And it's very like user-friendly because we all know like pregnancy brain is not fun. Um, But 
I liked it. And is there, if there was one thing that you wanted pregnant parents to, to hear, what would you tell them? Um, I would, this is advice I give to any pregnant parent. It was given to me right before I found out that I was high risk and I was preparing for everything. And I'm like, I know exactly how this is going to turn out, meaning my birth. Um, it's to get uncomfortable with the unexpected. Um, so much of pregnancy, heck, even trying to conceive, but so much of pregnancy and new parenthood is, it's just a surprise. Like you do not know what you're going to get, but oftentimes we're so we're planners and we plan for what is going to happen and figuring out how you're going to get comfortable with unexpected as soon as possible will make your life so much easier. And so that's the advice that I give um, to people. It's, it's a journey, but it, and it's a beautiful one, but um, being flexible with how it unfolds is really important. Oh yes. I love that advice. And we all know to those people who, before you have kids, you have like a certain picture in your mind of how it's going to be. I was one of those really, really annoying people that was like, my children will never watch TV and will eat organic. Um, but what usually something is going to come up that you weren't expecting, whether it's with the pregnancy or the birth or breastfeeding, um, and you just got to roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. You do. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining. I think this joining me, this was like such an important topic and I think you're doing some really important work out there. Well, thank you. And thank you for everything that you do. Have a good night. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.